0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to Back on the Bus podcast. Randy and I, we've had a bit of a hiatus, and I would say it's mostly been uh, my fault. Uh, moved the family up into the Kootenays. It w- was a bit more epic than I had ever imagined. But now we are uh, settled in. Everyone's got smiles on their faces. Everyone's over moving two times in one year with an international move in there as well so i'm pretty blown on lifting boxes randy how you been in this period yeah have you been well, up to i've
1: been good but you also so you did the international move right during the pandemic or has the pandemic oh, started yeah. yet oh no it was uh <laughs> yeah full on full yeah. on and then and then uh we had that sweet little uh what are they calling it? Like uh, the rain, rain again, Atmos- uh, atm- like atmospheric
0: <laughs> rivers coming down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that was oh, a yeah. thing this year. And that was
0: happening. I have to say so- my, my timing was impeccable for all of my moves. <laughs> so the move up to the Kootenays required me to do four trips with my truck and trailer. And it was, the highways were all shut down for non-essential travel. So I had to make a case every time with the cops that I was going through. And, <laughs> the the highways were just epic man i would just show up here just sweating you know that cold sweat but uh yeah we made it and we're we're settled in and uh randy and i we were missing the podcast we were missing uh chatting with some old friends and shooting the shit about biking so you know here we are back at it again right
1: yeah, no, I was thinking of Mitch because remember when we did the with the party with him, he was, you know, the, the, when he started out the episodes, they came hot and heavy or they just didn't come at all. So <laughs> I feel like we've, <laughs> we've definitely done that now. Well, so, that's the uh, nature back, of it. Maybe. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the nature of it, right? I mean, yeah,
0: yeah it's, uh, you got to stay on top of it. And, and we're back and we're, uh, looking forward to another season. We got some awesome guests lined up. We have some big plans. Um, but a quick, uh, quick uh cap of this uh this podcast we started out with is uh with ben perry and i have to say i felt a little rusty myself but after having to listen to it it's been one of my favorite podcasts i've ever uh done wouldn't you say randy
1: yeah for sure me too and and uh you know it's it was actually been a while since i spent time chatting with ben so it's just you kind of forget the character that he was a bit and uh shit that was it's it was a good one yeah he's a funny dude uh
0: really uh really great character we had a bunch of good laughs um and i want to thank ben for sharing you know a lot of the stuff that he did because for a lot of people it's hard to to delve into that that world of professional signing a lot of people are carry their cards close to their chest and don't really show a lot. And I I think he shared a ton with us. So thank you, Ben. And uh, we hope you enjoy this podcast as much as we did. All right, everyone, let's get to our uh, first guest of season of 2022. We've got uh, Ben Perry. Ben is a a longtime friend, a guy both Randy and I have followed for quite some time. We've raced with uh, many a time. I got to do a, a great project uh Tour de Beauce. uh what year was that twenty twenty nineteen yeah 19. yeah that's where I first really got to know ben and uh yeah I've always been a fan of ben's attitude and and the way he approaches cycling um it's uh you know it's a very difficult world what uh trying to make it into that that highest level of elite cycling and uh Ben's had a pretty wild journey. And this year, he uh, made it onto a team with Sun God, which is a British-based team. And he's just come out of the Turkish tour, uh, tour of Antalya, or how would you say that, Ben?
2: Antalya, I think. Antalya. That's what I've been saying. Okay.
0: He uh, ran seventh in the GC there, and uh, it's a pretty handy result. Um, And so, welcome, Ben, and thanks for joining us here. And, uh, let just give us a little update on where you're at, what's coming up and yeah, how the, how the year has been shaping up for you.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Um, so, so far while we did a training camp in Calpe, we did the race in Turkey, another little training camp here in Girona where I was playing host to the boys and then we did a race in Belgium last weekend and I ran out of talent about 15 kilometers to go. So that was could have been better <laughs> but then uh um yeah i go to netherlands tomorrow for a one-day race on sunday and then a, a tour end of next week so starting to pick up with the racing a bunch and i'm pretty glad about that nice, nice.
0: give us uh what's what's this new team all about and and uh, how have you been enjoying it there we we had a discussion a little while back where I, I really liked how you broke down, you know, your position there and your, your kind of new outlook on cycling in general, and, uh, maybe share a little bit of that with us. Cause I think it's a really important notion for any younger listeners who, you know, are thinking to go over and kind of follow those steps that you've had. I mean, you've, you, you made your way over early on a French team. Am I right?
2: Belgian. Yeah. I started Belgian in Belgium team. when I was junior. Yep.
1: And then silver, some guest
2: rides, then silver, then Israel for four years, and then Astana, and then now with. Okay. Yeah. How How many yeah. years have you been living in Girona now? Then, like, I, I... uh, like five and a half now since November 2016. I've been here. I mean, I've been going back and forth a bunch. But, but less less lately, as much though, yeah. Since COVID, so, yeah. yeah. Since COVID, I haven't been back for a while. Huh. Good on you. But um, yeah, with the whole this whole new team, I um. Astana was having its whole internal struggle and they said I was going to have a spot and then I was going to maybe be able to go wherever Premier Tech was going to go and then the whole classic every sort of year. If, if I was a better cyclist, it wouldn't have been a problem, but it's like the classic. You're looking for a job and at the end of the day, it's about the results and about what you can offer and I just wasn't good enough for anything in the world tour. And then I had an offer to be a coach with the team. And organize, like, training camps and do motor pacing. And I was like, ah, oh, that'd probably be pretty fun in some ways. But also I'd rather kind of, like, go back to Canada and go live in the West and chill out and live, like, a different life where I still, like, exercise and ride bikes and ski or whatever. <clears throat> and then actually, funnily, funnily enough, like, the last podcast that that was Mitch, Mitch Docker's podcast. But uh, I went – he did, like, a pub crawl ride where everyone like just have a beer ride like 5k have a beer ride 5k go to these different like places around girona and there's a guy there (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's in the off season so it's totally it's totally acceptable podcast listeners um and for for mitch it's pretty standard (laughs) Mitch calls that wednesday (laughs) um but Yeah, I, there's a guy there. I was thinking about this this job and I was, wasn't really thinking about riding. This is like in yeah, November and then Tom Southern who's a, was a, is a DS I think still for EF um was just like, "Ben, you, you can't quit." I was he was a DS with Drapack when I did two of Alberta back in the day, and he remembered me from that race and he was like, "You can't quit. You got to find a team." And he sent me the email for Tim who's the owner of Wiv. And it's a team I've always awesome. known about because they've always done like races where I'm like, "Oh, if I could choose my calendar and like I could just teleport around and be on a different team every day and i could do a calendar like this team would be the closest thing to what i'd want to do like point one some tours nothing too mountainous basically avoid from france and italy and um no not really but and then i emailed him and he's like yeah let's let's chat and then in the end i decided we both like he made me an offer to join the team and now it's been a great a great thing for me and I've definitely found like from the first training camp and how tightly knit the guys are like the the most relative thing I can compare it to is silver in 2015, 16, where we all get along. We all have fun. We're all like sitting by the pool after training, like pushing people in like cracking jokes, talking about this, that like everyone gets along where Israel had a good vibe. But obviously, there's a lot of different cultures, and then Astana was also like really polarizing. With I was the until Steve Bauer joined the team, and we had a, a media girl from Australia, Phoebe. But they were the only other two people out of like 150 staff riders who actually knew English, or like English was their first language. So it's just like you'd go to a race, and there's like six guys from Kazakhstan, or two guys from Italy, and like everyone, no one's a, no one's a dick, but you're also just kind of like sat there, like. Did you guys see the Montreal Canadiens stand down to the
0: AHL? I just want to s- stop you there for a sec because I think it's such an important thing you brought up there is like the different cultures within teams, right? And that's something that, you know, Astana, uh, historically, like I think back to my first uh, Tour de France, we had Dan Jones making all these crazy videos. Uh, we had, you know the the crew that we had there was more of one day kind of specialist so everyone's a bit bigger a a bit more having fun um eating normal breakfasts and and so on and so forth and we're in the start in corsica you know um and there you you before a tour you're there for three or four days and and i'll just never forget the astana guys they were there with uh, uh nibali and they had their full gc crew right and it was very serious. It was very like, I don't know. I felt like <clears throat> like they were going to war or something. It was such a different mentality. Meanwhile, we're out in the parking lot filming with wigs, doing high kicks and, and <laughs> yeah. guitars, to listening to ACDC, and they're walking by after their six-hour blowout or you know after their flight ride. We've we've probably done a half an hour that morning, and they're just looking at us like we're aliens right and and for that that's the culture right and look to to do what those gc guys do it's it's a whole insane other level like they're just they're just super machines athletes but the cultures can be so different and i think what you're touching on there ben is like you know you have a lot of eastern bloc riders kazakhstan they come from very hard countries and so their mentality is like they have to make it it's so like it's so crucial that they make it and it's a very serious life. And so sometimes that's not always the, the most fun environment to be in. And then you throw in the language barrier. So I'd just like to add, you know, like that's something a lot of people don't take in. We watch these teams on in the tour and you just think, oh, I want to be like a, a world tour rider. I want to do this. I want to. But without really knowing the reality of what that is. And that's that's a big thing I want to touch on today with you, Ben, because you've kind of you've you've seen it all now and i feel like you're in a place now where you're very happy with with your riding and 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 the people you're around yeah. right
2: yeah i know <clears throat> i i agree 100 percent obviously with with all that and it's just like yeah the thing with Astana, if you were from kazakhstan or you are from a certain walk of life and cycling is your, your whole entire world then maybe it is the right place for you but for me it's like i remember just yeah tour of korea Cheerleaders on the start line, you're just like dancing, got a smile on your face. Like maybe you're in the GC, maybe you're thinking about winning the stage. But for me, cycling's always just been fun and like training is enjoyable, racing is enjoyable. And it's different like cultures, different mindsets. Where I remember being in Belgium, the guy was like, Oh, Ben, like I really want you to be like super serious for tomorrow and like you should do this. And it's, but in bike racing, you can't just listen to like, m M&M, Lose Yourself, like an hour before the start and think, oh, yeah, I'm, gonna be so- I'm, I'm the man. But For a six-hour like 45- race. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's a 250-k <laughs> race. Every time you're you like, Lose Yourself.
2: It's Lose Yourself. You got to hold it. Let <laughs> <That> us <is going laughs> yeah, yeah, like, go. Oh, shit. No, it's, it's, it's totally that. And I, I kind of said that to the, the dudes at team camp. I was like, I promise you guys right now I've had more fun at this training camp than I did all of last year. And that's not a knock on my old team, but at the same time, it's like, if you want to have fun, have fun. Cause you can have fun wherever you are and you can have fun at any level and you don't need to be world tour to start enjoying cycling. And it's very hard to be rich and famous and successful or whatever sort of thing you want to get from cycling. Like it's pretty hard to get from having quicker legs than anyone else. And for me, I think I've just realized that I just want to enjoy it and if I can win, 10 stages in one tour to France. I'd love that. But if I can't, I'm still going to have fun racing. Dorpan Amelip, in Netherlands this weekend.
0: Yeah. Enjoy well, it. I, I, I think that's what we touched on in that discussion was the fact that, you know, like a lot of people, again, I, I we speak to younger riders and, and try and, you know, obviously you want to help them dodge all the, the pitfalls that you can trying to chase like a world tour career or whatever. And our goal is always to help them bypass those, places that i fucked up or you know because there's a lot of things like or funny crossroads where i could have made the total wrong decision and so you want to help those riders get to that point but the biggest point that like i always try and push is the fact that you like no matter what you 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 do or what you think it's going to be you don't know until you actually get there and you should, you should be having fun in that moment. Like it should be something that you're loving while you're doing. So you need to find the right environment in order to see what you can actually do. And I'm thinking of you, you're 28 years old. I didn't even come over to Europe until I was 30. Right. So to, for people to tell you all oh, think, maybe think about retiring in my mind, you haven't even reached your potential. I've seen you up in those, those Northern races and you're like, you're a very handy bike rider. And that's something that can't be taught to anyone, right? Um being able to move around in those bunches in those classic style races, it's like there's a real skill to that. And you've just been building on that. And I think it would be and, and I guess so. My point is that's why I'm very happy to see you found a, a place where you are happy and content to race, you know. So maybe maybe talk a little bit about that, like just the, the attitude you have going forward now in, in that sense and, and for younger riders to try and find their niche, to try and find what makes them happy so they can actually get those results to, to make it onto a bigger team.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> I found for me a big thing has just been being persistent because I've, I've used to find when I was, was training you wouldn't hit the numbers you wanted to hit or you wouldn't do this or you wouldn't do that and it'd get you down. And then now I've kind of just gotten to that, rhythm of, if you just let every day depend on how well you felt on the bike, you're going to have a lot of downs. Cause you're just, you can't go out every single day and be like, oh, I put one watt onto my 20 minute power test today. And tomorrow I'm going to put one more watt. And the next day I'm going to put one more watt. And especially as you get older, you guys would know too, but like my, my powers have always gone up like year after year after year, but it's like getting smaller and smaller and smaller and it's no longer the days of like being. 17 on a steel bike at the St. Catherine Cycling Club, 15k TT, and putting like 35 seconds into your time every week. So I just found like for me, just being persistent and making sure I do all the training, and I I enjoy it too. And that's like what you were saying as well. It's like I remember having Italian teammates or teammates who've been doing it, Belgian teammates, since they were five years old, and like, oh, I hate it, but I'm this good. Or I know if I train this much and I go to altitude and I do this, I'll get that. And it's like for me, if you told me like right now you're done racing. You can never race again for X, Y, Z reasons. You can never race. I'd still ride my bike every day or do something every day. So I think for me finding that's been really helpful.
0: Yeah. So do you think it's always been like that for you or, or like, did you come to that conclusion through this lifestyle? Cause you're, you're a guy who's fully immersed now in Europe. I mean, I, I feel like Girona is a pretty happy place for you. You've made it a home. So did, was that something that evolved over time or, um, did you always have that, like where you just wanted to, to train? Cause I know for myself, that's how it was. I always wanted to be out on the bike, no matter what.
2: Yeah. I think for me, well, from the training aspect, I remember feeling when I was, when I was younger, I had a coach Rickley and he just said like, oh, if you haven't considered quitting, um, it's like not normal. And I was kind of sat there like, oh no, I've never actually considered <laughs> quitting. Like, I really enjoy this, <laughs> but, uh. The one thing I've definitely found is that I do, yeah, training is never a bother for me. Like I really enjoy doing it. And I kind of, the one thing I'm just kind of bitter about with cycling is like, I love skateboarding growing up and I loved hockey growing up and just did those and skateboarding and hockey. It's like X plus time equals your ability. Like if you have whatever talent you just put time, 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 you'll become good. Like Wayne Gretzky didn't shoot a billion pucks for no reason like but in cycling if if you said like ben whoever trains the most will be the best i'm like sweet i'll just be on, well, I'll, be, I'll just be on one long ultra ultra cycling ride i'll just be chipping away at 40 watts watching Lord of the rings for the eighth time today uh, <laughs> that unfortunately doesn't work that way yeah. and you only have so much talent but at the same time yeah I do I do love training and also it is a lot easier to train here than, than Niagara and Canada and I miss the St. Catharines Club Ride. I miss like the, the Nathan Chowns and the the Ed, Ed, the Eds back there in, in, in my hometown. But um yeah, I find uh, it's quite easy here to train and also there's no car, car culture, everything's a walk away, all your friends are a walk away and it, it makes I've adapted to the life and I really like it here. Nice. Canada's still home, but yeah
1: you typically uh, train by yourself or do you usually get out with a group or like a partner at least?
2: Um, there's um, quite a few like Aussies and Kiwis here. Some of Swain, those old teammates actually who I, who I train with nice, pretty regularly, but a lot of times I do like to train alone and like listen to a podcast or music or just kind of ride like my own feel and just think about things. Depends. Yeah. Depends. Depends. What's going on in my, in my social life, in my personal life? If everything's like boring, like who wants to ride today? <laughs> if, uh, yeah. If I'm like a bit like, oh, I got to pack for that, and I got to fill out those form, I got to do my taxes, I gotta, oh, I gotta message that person. On, right. I'm, like, I'm just gonna go go solo and listen to some tame Impala for six hours and ride as hard as I can and then come back and all the answers will will be done for (laughs) me. Or not just pushed
1: aside. (laughs) Yeah, I found I was typically training by myself and especially when I was here in Vancouver. So now like I to get out on the bike I started doing it again now going mount- I mountain bike by myself occasionally here and there, but it was like more like somebody had to call to get me back out to, to want <laughs> to ride a road bike at least, which is, which <laughs> I just rode that thing by myself all the time. Right. Anyways. Yeah. It's different. Yeah.
0: So, so Ben, um, growing up in St. Catharines, like what was kind of your journey to like getting into road biking? Like I, I, th- I saw you were a junior cyclocross champ. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so I kind of was riding different, like, wings for a while, like, jumped under this guy's wings, under that guy's wing sort of thing, and basically... The the short story, long story short is I had a BMX bike. My dad thought BMX was lame. The BMX got stolen when we were camping. Dad it's bought stolen. me a mountain bike. <laughs> yeah. All the bikes got stolen, but they stole my dad's bike. But then they ditched my dad's bike because they decided it wasn't good enough. So the BMX bike got stolen and my dad's bike didn't get stolen. Was it a Cooey? It was a Stealth Concorde. It was like a mountain bike from the 80s, like full rigid um yeah nice but yeah anyways i remember that bike super well I gave it away in the end and i was a bit devastated because it felt like a staple of my childhood but no i did uh i had a got a mountain bike niagara is a wine region there's a race called the squeezer organized by liberty bikes and i did the mountain bike race and i came like i remember i still remember i was like 445th out of a thousand i was like
0: dang 16 top 50 percent
2: Top fifty percent. Yeah, I was pretty happy. I actually remember telling my my French teacher. She's like, "Oh, what did you everyone do in the weekend? Like, I did a mountain bike race." And she's like, "How'd you do?" I was like, "I did pretty good." And she's like, how'd you finish?" I was like, 445. And she's like, "That's not good." Come on, my fifth time riding a mountain bike. Could we so some slack? Could Could that Madame be
0: driving Watson. you the man you are now? Just still holding resentment towards that lady, yeah.
2: Madame Watson. <laughs> keeps the fire burning <laughs> <laughs> i'll show you 445th i was
0: 192nd last weekend in the arm loot brand
2: i was like yeah i was i was 50th last week and she's like oh but how many people i'm like oh like 160 she's like percentage wise not that much better <laughs> but then you know i did she's some mountain bike coaster. racing in the the St. Catharines cycling club, there's guys, uh, this guy, Jeff Lemon, who was a member of the club still is. I think there's a youth mountain bike program. So I joined that. And then I wanted to be, they said, Oh, if you want to be a good mountain bike, you have to ride a road bike sometimes. So I remember when I was like probably 16 or 17, there was a kid, Matt Hopkins and him and I would just like wore gym shorts over our spandex and just like rode around the flat yeah. farm lanes around like Welland. Cause we, I was like, there's no way I'm just wearing spandex. And then, uh, obviously Shorts, got over, shorts over
0: top are cooler. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: my gym, <laughs> gym shorts over top of the bibs. <laughs> now now the, the babes are like, whoa. So <laughs> 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 what modern running shorts are, it's spandex with the baggy short over top. But uh, yeah, I did some road racing. Did some cycle cross. This guy, Nathan Chown, got me into cycle cross, Did a bunch of cross racing with him and really loved that. And then went to Europe for cyclocross, came back again for road. But and How did,
0: let's, I mean, see. you just jump over that. Like, how did that <laughs> yes, happen? Did. You just w- went to Europe because that's, I think what like a lot of, again, we're talking, we're hoping younger people will take some, a few things from some yeah. of this and it's just like, well, how, how did that happen? Because it doesn't just, you go over and show up and sign up, um, you know?
2: <clears throat> I wonder, well, like my mom was born in England and like grew up in England and my dad's, done lots of traveling, like he did a gap year and just traveled around and I'm an only child. And I always just like run away, like not run away cause I was mad, just run away. Like, cause I didn't care if my parents were watching me or not. I think part of that maybe if I'm gonna psychoanalyze myself. <laughs> I was Jesus. like, my, my, <laughs> episode two. <laughs> but this will be a five-part episode. We're just uh, all crying. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, I don't know what what a good way to say it is, but I mean, like, when I had opportunities, like, cause obviously, Canada, it's a, you're kind of a big fish in a small pond. If you are doing junior cyclocross in the GTA and you do nationals and you go and like, I was only just doing local races, but I won nationals and it was like, okay, you won nationals, so you're selected for the cyclocross in Belgium project. Do you want to go? And like, no part of me was like, oh no, I'm homesick. Oh no, I'm going to miss school. I was like, fuck yeah, let's go to Belgium. I'm going to live with, I live with another guy, Johan Patry. We lived in this house, like just the two of us is cold house in tilt for like six weeks. This British couple, Tim and Josh, to drive us to races, and I just loved it. I guess I was getting my head caved in. That's actually probably the closest I was to quitting because I would finish dead last. Like if there's ten guys or eighty guys, I was last.
1: So the percentage wasn't <laughs> good.
2: Percentage <laughs> was atrocious. Always atrocious.
0: Uh, Miss Watson was reading the cycling news reports and just <laughs> yeah. shaking her head. <laughs>
2: so he's gotten worse
0: so but i i think that's you know like again you just you just leave it there as like yeah it was hard okay but you're staying in the cold i mean that's kind of a standard story for a lot of guys that i've known who, who've made that journey over and done like cross looks over there looks like the hardest freaking thing on the planet and you're immersing yourself in in i think one of the craziest like kind of lifestyle shifts coming from you know, your single, uh, child, you know, and probably had it, you know, like a a pretty standard Canadian upbringing, which I think is pretty sweet, you know, like it's uh, mostly pretty, you know, it's, it's nice. Let's just put it that way. It's comfortable. And to go to Belgium in the, that time of year and kind of rough it out, especially like what I've heard, about a lot of these places is they're putting you up, but it's not like, it's not the Ritz, you know, like they've kind of cut the heat off. They've got limitations on the food. <laughs> it's like, there's a whole kind of uh, protocol around it to just see how, like, I feel like they're just testing you. Like, how much do you want this? And like, that's what I want to delve into. Like what, during that time you said, oh, I was the closest I wanted to quit or, or wanting to quit. Um what what brought you back and like what like because those are the important moments right those are those crossroads i know i ran into man i wanted to quit probably 20 times in my career actually i did quit for a year um what brought you back or what what kind of forced you through those those times to to make you go nah i love this i love this more than than anything i'm gonna go back home and train and come back again and try it again you know
2: um, <clears throat> I think I just got a lot of reward out of the sort of minor, minor victories and the minor goals. And I think I wasn't ever too, I was never, when I was a junior thinking, oh, I'm going to be pro. I wasn't, I never dreamed of it. I didn't think I'd ever really go to Europe really. And then when I was there, and even though I'd finished last, i was like, oh, I was a bit closer, not finishing last, or <clears throat> oh, I did a couple cool things there. Maybe next race, I'll do a couple more. And always just kind of chasing that the dragon i guess of maybe getting a little better a little better a little better and then just took every option i got went to belgium again the next spring for road racing and then i remember too in the Kermesse on the road i was not so great not so great and then after like five i got in a break with with a dude Quentin hermans he's also a big part of my cycling career i got in a break with this one guy and the two of us just quinton hermans
0: is, is the brother of ben
2: Herman's? No. So he's on Wanty. He's a yeah, cyclocross guy. Yeah. He's always like top five at cyclocross World Cups. But him and I were in a break together and I ended up beating him in, in the sprint. Nice. And it was actually a really classic. Like, this is also a big part of my career. I have to say, like, props to him. But he uh, was like, You are very strong. You can come kind of stay with me if you want. We do, we, do, we, do, we do racing together. And then and I'm like, oh, Okay, yeah, sounds good. Eh? And then I just want to just went, just went to stay at his house like he lived, his parents owned like a t-shirt factory and uh, they had like a small apartment above it and i just like stayed in his room with them for like 2 months and just loved it went to kermesses oh that's awesome around belgium ate quirky brooches and wow did teen belgian teenager stuff that uh-huh. i mentioned on the podcast but like
1: <laughs> was that the club you I- you went with then like that the next
2: no, thing. so he was on the team was called TeleNet Fidea at the time, but I just went to a team. It was called Sporten Stuun Leopoldsberg, and it was a really small team. And they got me to some interclubs, and we did like a UCI uh, stage race, and I was second on a stage, I think, and I, I won like a few cremesses And then from that, that snowballed into getting a ride with the Lotto Bellisol oh, twenty three okay. team. Okay, so it oh, all kind of just like rolled into it into something from like from second year U 17 to the end of junior. And yeah, I think a lot of the reason I just kept riding is because I just kept seeing like getting success, like getting satisfaction with the small improvements and being, and just loving training at the same time too. is like, I just really can't, can't say enough, like doing the chop off on the St. Catharines club ride and, Back when Spider Tech was a team, guys like Buck Miller being out there, being like, "Hold the wheel, you little fucker," and just putting the gutter, just or old Scottish men just screaming at you like, you hey, it wrong." And I'm like, "I'm sorry," and I don't, I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed that, and I, I enjoyed like the, the hardship of it and how different it was from what everyone else was doing.
0: Awesome. I mean, so through that experience, like over there in Europe, do you think it gave you like a better realistic impression of what you needed to do? So like to, to actually take joy in those small progressions, those minor things, you could see it building to something. And, but you saw a world that was so hard and and you mentioned it before, like that's one of the problems in Canada is you're, you have that big fish, small pond, uh, issue, and it's very easy to start believing like, oh yeah, I'm ready for Roubaix, you know, because you did a, a race on the dikes uh, you know, alongs, you know, in a town somewhere and whooped everyone uh who's working full time and and racing on the weekends, right? We it's very easy to kind of get ahead of yourself and think that racing is the same all across the board. And I just think that experience must have allowed you to have that more realistic approach or long-term approach to to what you're doing, no?
2: yeah and I think too. it's even in hindsight when I went to the lotto u twenty three team I think it was a mistake in the end. I think I wasn't as good as maybe they thought I was and tell, I it, tell really us know. a bit
0: how that all all occurred too, because you again, you just painted over it like it just happened but it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's an important part of the process here like to understand and and just what you're saying like it's it was too early it was too too soon maybe
2: yeah, I think it was just like a, a youthful I don't even know if I, I don't know, I wouldn't say I regret it, but basically in the last few months, I did um, eight Kermesses, and I think I won six of them. And then I went to this stage race and I was second on the stage and second in, or I won the KOM jersey or something. And I had like, I had a really good like yeah. six, six to eight weeks and at the beginning it was like this u23 team is interested in you this u23 team's interested in you and um there was a guy working at the with the team who was like obviously classic hardcore cycling fan belgian cycling fan and when he contact or he uh, lotto contacted him because they knew he was part of the team and he was like you have to sign to this team and he took me to their house and like uh of kurt Van der Wauer who still runs the team now and they're like yeah we want to sign you and i just like this is the best team that wants me sweet I'll do it but then when I was once I was in the team they didn't put me in a lot of races and they kind of like the step from me just being like a Canadian kid who knew nothing really about cycling I like, never heard of like altitude or getting a massage basically or like stretching or I just like I just did the I did Tuesday night race with St. Catharines cycling club Saturday Sunday race I'd go to any race in Canada that my parents would drive me to or do nationals do Abitibi do like stay in a hostel in Belgium and go to races and stuff but I was still pretty still quite a bit of a rookie and then in this team they they kind of did the whole classic belgian like push everyone in the pool and if somebody drowns too bad will just push another few people in the pool and see if they can keep their head up where canada obviously it's a smaller the smaller pond obviously where they throw everyone in the pool and if anyone's struggling like oh what do you need or yeah. belgium's a bit more cut there like yeah. it's the same as our hockey system like if you're not good enough to make AAA, you don't make AAA and no one talks to you ever again. And that's like the way it is. You're 13 years old thinking you're going to the NHL. It's like you got cut from AAA and you, you're you in live in Brandon, Manitoba. Sorry, your NHL dreams are done uh, yeah. as of now. Yeah. And like Belgium's the same. They're just like uh, Ben's not really top 10 on the team like okay we're not gonna put in many races and then at the end of the year they're like yeah you can stay and then they're like oh actually we don't have enough belgians so you can't stay and then in december i was like planning going back to, to belgium and like you don't have a spot anymore so i found okay. another team but in the end i went to a smaller team called begay um it was owned by a ex-pro serge begay and they put me in tons of races and i had a great year and from there i Won the nationals and went to. What was that like that? though? You, you said you had a great year, but yeah.
0: again, that's like uh, for a lot of young Canadians, I know that would be like a really awesome experience because of the, the way North American racing is going. It's hard to get to a lot of races. And the idea of getting on to a smaller continental team that can get you to a lot of stage races in Europe would be, well, the dream for a lot of them, but maybe they don't understand the reality of what that is. It's good if you're getting results which it sounds like if you had a good year, then they kind of prop you up and look after you a bit better. Like it's really, it's well, well, a really, uh, yeah, it's a, re- it's really cutthroat though on those teams <sighs> as I'm, I'm sure you can attest to. So maybe talk a little bit about that experience on, it was a French team. Yeah.
2: Well, no, it's like, cause, cause it says it's called baguette. Yeah. It sounds a bit French. I'm baguette myself. Um... <laughs> But um, no, they just they they approached me when they found I didn't have an offer, and then at the same time it was a good year because I put I asked them the contract, and I'm like, I want to be able to choose my races, and wow. they let me wow. ha- they let me have that, which was big. But then in the end, of course, I was this is part of the reason why I stopped. I stopped racing in Belgium after that year. They did flick me out of a couple of races where I was like. I said, I want to do this race and this race. And now you're saying all oh, the other guys are mad that I do all the races. It's like, well, you shouldn't have given me a contract that says I can choose the races. Like you should have thought about this. Like you had, that was nine <laughs> months ago I signed the contract. Like why, why, why is it an issue now? Um, but I honestly do think that's the one thing I really learned at that point. And not that I've always, um, it's a bit different when it's the difference between being professional or not professional. But you see guys now where <clears throat> they're like, oh, that team's continental Oh, maybe I can get on that team where no, you're way better off being in like a DN2 team in France and racing twice a week, getting your head kicked in, like learning, growing. Okay. Yeah. Maybe if to live in like a, a bombed out house in Bourg-en-Bresse and drive around the country in a van and you don't get like a custom painted bike and a custom helmet and 10 kits. But if you want to be successful and you really enjoy it and you want to see how far you can take it racing for some continental team that has some flashy gear that does seven race days a year, is definitely not the way, and like that's what I—that's kind of the mistake I made first year. I was like, "Wow, this seems so flash. This team's so cool. That it's a world tour feeder team. I'm—I'm I'm 18 years old. This is amazing." Mm-hmm. And they just chewed me up and spat me out. And like, if I could go back in time and talk to myself, I'd be like, "Sign for this smaller team where you're likely to be like a top five guy. You can go to all the races or most of the races. You can have a bit of freedom." Where I was just like, "Ben, do the best job you can to help this guy." And like the guys on the team are like Dan McClay, Tish Benu like there's like 15 guys on that team who are all in the world tour now and yeah it's like what was that? you got to set your it's like, I guess you have to set your your set your aims high but it was a bit high from where I was at that moment
0: well I think again it, it goes back to that thing like too you want to you have to ha- be realistic and by that I don't mean be negative about like always dream and always have like big ambitions, of course, but you have to understand the world you're you're going into. And I think that was an eye opener for you seeing those like, well, one, they weren't really giving you a lot of opportunity to show yourself, but two, you kind of saw the reality of that world at a, at a pretty early age, it sounds like, and it helped you to, to, well, at least understand that situation that that was too early for you yet. And I, I love that point of what you're saying. like, yeah, you might have a continental team with all the stuff and they promise you this and that. I don't know how many times I've seen that uh, and spoken to guys who, yeah, I want to get on that team. They get on that team and they've blown everything on on their van and their mechanic truck. And all of a sudden they don't have budget to do this race and that race. And then a sponsor pulls and, you know, nothing was really rock solid. Whereas those like kind of smaller teams where they run on a really shoestring budget, it doesn't sound awesome or fun. But just like you said, they do a million races and they might not be the highest caliber races, but that's where you're going to learn to become a better rider. And if you're on a bigger team, bigger budget, and you're not the key player, you're not going to get that opportunity. And I think that's a really important point you made. So, yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about the the move from that team. What was the next step? Was that back to to Canada with, with Silver?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> so originally, uh well I did Nationals and then I got in was in contact with Scott McFarlane of Silver. And then I was going to do, I'm pretty sure it's the same year there was like Tour of Rio in Brazil.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And
2: Optum or I don't know if it was Kelly Benefits at the time offered me a stagiaire at that race. Yeah. And then the race was canceled. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to go to North America this year. And then it was like then Silver asked, I think, like Garrett McLeod, Nigel, Alice, and I to do – because I think three of us are also going to do the thing with Optum, to two of Alberta, and then that fell through. Or like Nigel did it, and then I did it on Team Canada. And then at two of Alberta that year with Team Canada, Scott just um, hunted me down and said, like, love to have you on the team. Let's let's chat. And I had an offer to go up a level to a different feeder team, like a better team in Belgium, kind of similar to a lotto. And I thought about it for like a little bit, but I, at that moment I was a bit tired of being a bit flicked or a bit like I was in the best development team. And then I was in like one of the, the bottom teams and they both did things that I felt were just a bit annoying or a bit unfair. Not like wah, wah, wah boo-hoo, but like I was a bit, okay, I'm a bit tired of this. I'd rather just have a Canadian boss for once and right. just, be in the culture i'm used to where i think i know how things are going to go so then i signed with silver and then when
1: you were like when you were on silver too like north american cycling was healthier too i feel like in in race yeah. race terms
2: like yeah it was an easier decision then than it would have been now because then it was like silver had good backing from arthur silver and they had all the bikes they had all the trucks already they had this the stuff we had two of alberta California was a prospect. Like Utah was on Saguenay Bose. Good races. Joe Martin, Piera, Colorado, maybe Redlands, Colorado. Yeah. Like there was like probably I think I think I did about th- thirty and forty UCI days in Canada, and like we did Super Week. Man, that's that, awesome. Uh, like, and it's funny thinking about that now when you compare that to what the U.S. North American scene had been like when you guys were in like your early twenties. Well. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. in mid twenties. I wasn't even racing in my mid twenties, so <laughs> yeah. Missouri. Tour
1: Missouri. Yeah, tour Missouri. Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. I never did Georgia, but yeah. No, it's yeah. it's
0: certainly been much healthier in the past and it's it's oh, yeah. it's hard to watch now. I don't even know what, what there is happening in, in the North American scene, but uh, just like you said, I don't feel like it's an option in like for someone like yourself as, as far as like the opportunity to race or show yourself. I think that's the hardest thing for our younger riders right now is that there really isn't uh, an arena to to show yourself to any European riders unless you can make your way over to Europe. And I think that's why what we're trying to pull out of you is just those steps you you had to make. So in Silver, you were you were super comfortable. You, you you were surrounded by a bunch of good dudes that like you enjoyed racing. You you enjoyed being in that uh, in that culture, and you had some great results, right? I mean, uh, Tour Korea was. Was one of your your bigger? I think you. I was you're already at... on.
2: I was on Israel already, and, and in ah, Silver. Then. I just had um, national road races and crits, and then a stage of Sagene, a stage of Bose. Yeah, stage of I um, yeah, Percentage stage is a lot is... better than Em Watson. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> yeah, I was in a really happy place. We were all training together, doing training camps. Having a fun, like it's really similar to where I'm at now. Like, we're just having fun. The boys we were driving the van across all across North America, bikes on the roof, stopping in truth and consequences for one night on the way to Turahila, riding around, listening to guns going off and dogs barking, <laughs> just getting that real United States experience. Yeah, as a bunch of Canadians <laughs> just lost. So,
0: so then, um, Silver came to an end right the the team uh basically was folding and maybe tell us a bit well, about that yeah transition. tell us that
2: yeah so silver there was ah I left, that's and right there was one more year of silver and then it was floyd's
0: floyd's yeah
2: um but the last year i was there basically and i actually like was nailing this home with the with the wiv my WIV teammates, as well as like some of the young guys I talked to, it's like the reason I went pro is I did Saguenay with the national team. Um, no, sorry, I did Saguenay with with Silver. Sorry, and <clears throat> I won the first stage and was shutting down the guys on Israel with the help of the Silver teammates. We all like were shutting down uh, like Guillaume Boivin and Miku Rime and the whole Israel uh, Cycling Academy team. And after the race, the the owner was like, "Who is that?" Young guy who was best young rider who was making us work all week and causing shit, yeah, causing <laughs> shit. And I think uh, Guillaume Guillaume put in a good word for me. He's like, "Oh, he's a young guy, won nationals, u twenty three. Like, um, let's give him a chance." And and then it, I, everything kind of everything in Europe's kind of snowballed from there. But it's just again one of these things where there's a lot of guys who, if they never would have gone world tour. No one would miss them, and there's a lot of even more guys who never went world tour who you could have dropped them in five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, and no one would be looking at them now going, "Oh, that guy's dog shit like he should not be in the world tour like a lot of these guys like on my team now are is so strong like they would light up Astana camp like they're just British dudes who work as electricians during the weekday and just killed themselves in the turbo or like ten hours in the rain every weekend, and it's just like they're so strong. And if they were doing the if they were in the right in, in the right eye of the right person and at the right race, like there's no doubt in my mind, most of these guys would have would have got a shot the same way I did. I yes. think that's
0: but, a, a super sorry, Randy. I was nervous. just going to say I think that's a really important point. Is that uh, especially too talking to to riders from Canada? It's not that we don't have the strength or the ability or the the talent. It's just that. Um, you know, it's a lot of times it's opportunity. It's it's a it's a lifestyle. It's it's jumping into it full on and and living that mm-hmm. life completely. And it's you know, just because you can do the numbers and all that stuff, like those guys aren't superhumans, right? But it's like a lot of times it's just that opportunity and showing yourself at the right time. So yeah, I think that's an important point: um, is to have that faith that like we you know our guys have that talent and. One of the things that I was thinking of when, you're, when you were mentioning that is you've been around long enough now to see this evolution that we've been talking about in the, in the Peloton. <clears throat> and I was curious to hear your take on it, like what you think's going on in the sense of whether it's training or just all of the information out there. There's been a real shift, I would say, in the last five to six years to a whole other level of what I consider like human physiology and like ability on bikes. And I just feel like every year, uh, talking to friends, I've been out of it, um, both Randy and I've been out of uh, a couple of years now. Um, and I feel like talking to friends has just gotten harder and harder. And I'd be curious to hear your take on it. Cause you've seen that evolution racing in Europe from way back as well.
2: <clears throat> yeah, um I definitely've noticed like a few years ago when I first was pro in like 2017, 2018, you'd do a stage race and there'd be like an easy day or a couple easy days. And and now every race is just full gas always. Like this race I just did in Belgium on the weekend, like it was some, it was obviously 2 hours shorter than Paris-Roubaix, but I did almost the same power as I was doing in Paris-Roubaix in October last year. Mm-hmm. And it's like pan flat, few corners, little, not really much wind, just danger and panic. And it's like there's all these <laughs> continental teams and there's some world tour teams and quick steps there and whatever. But it's like the level is just so high everywhere you go. Where back in the day, you'd be like, oh, I'm doing a race in Asia. Like, oh, it's going to be pretty chill on the flat days and the rolly days like we'll just be chilling in the bunch having a conversation catch up on life What's working going on, on the tan it's yeah. eight working on the tan roll up the sleeves oh it's 8k to go okay let's let's start thinking about the lead out here who's sprinting today that
0: doesn't Whereas, happen anymore <laughs> everyone now
2: it's now it's like oh that team's gonna try there's like a, a there's like a highway overpass kilometer nine <laughs> so we know like the the team from columbia is gonna rip it on that that bridge because that's the one opportunity for them and the other the other thing too that's hit me super hard that's like a bit of a, a bit of a bummer i feel like my generation like plus or minus year has been stolen have we've like had stolen from us the like you're still young yeah yeah we went from i went from like doing races with silver and being like a first year pro and like oh ben like oh, you did like this many kilometers, but I'm still gold. You're only 23. Like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. You're still young. You've got like five years. And then by the time I was like 25, it's like Bernal won the tour, then Pochkar won the tour, and then it's like, oh, damn. Like, I'm not overtraining because he's training way harder than I am, and he's way younger, and he's from a similarly cold country. It's so and true. Man. Got- now,
0: now you're 20, 28 and they're kind of like, oh, who's this burnout, you know? It's like this is <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm like, uh, oh, what's the movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey? Best thing about high school girls. <laughs> what is that called? Don't
1: know that um, one. You got your own ear, buddy.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, can you chop that part of the, from the podcast <laughs> then? <laughs> no, yep. I'm like, oh, what's the movie? It's like when he gets hit by the baseball bat it's like a coming of age story. You guys know this. I don't know, Ben. Some. Some knows. It's. Don't think it's fast time. Anyways, um. Yeah, I just. I really feel like I've. I've. Um, yeah, now I still feel like I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm getting that old man strength now, that I've been twenty. I'm twenty-eight and two days old. So, I'm like. um. I can feel my, my physiologically physiologically I feel myself changing. Like it's just getting easier to ride like two hundred and sixty watts for five hours like without thinking about it and not to Dude. bring in Watt talk and be a be a dick about No, we're, watts, all, but we're all watts here, so yes. the rest yeah. of the combination. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. It's just like that that sort of like basic zone too just kind of doesn't go away, I'm finding. And I yeah. still I feel like I'm just kind of getting to that that zone where it just feels so unfair that for so long, it's like you're young, you're young, you're young, you're young. You're young. And now it's like, oh, no, teams don't look at 24, 25-year-olds, 26-year-olds anymore. They look at juniors. <laughs> like there's junior guys signing the World Tour contracts. And it makes me think about when I was like 20 and then cal- paying for like training camps in California, thinking, oh, I've got a few years that i got to really be good here if I want to be pro. And there's dudes there also in California training who are 25 yeah. who, never, who are just racing on an amateur team in, in the GTA. And it's like, wow, those guys – those guys now it's like don't want to poo-poo and also swain you've also broken this this feat but i feel like the odds of doing like a james picoly or being like a guy who's like in your late 20s and just ripping some races going pro is getting like thinner and thinner and thinner now that everyone has power meters and everyone has all these things and yeah they start so young and so serious and yeah
0: but i'm curious like, do you think it's, it's a fad? Do you think like, cause teams are funny, right? They're very old school. They don't have a very progressive way of thinking. They just jump from one thing to the next. That's what I noticed in all my years. Teams are just scrambling. What's, what's the, if they see another team like uh, Ineos doing something, it's like, oh, that's what we're doing now, you know? And no one has a real thought for themselves. So then when you have these, these super freaks, like, I'm just going to say it, Pojakar, is an absolute freak. I mean, he can win on gravel, uphill time trials, flat time trials, three weeks, stage races, monument style one days. At his age, it's insane. But not every kid at that age is is like this, right? And, and the assumption now is like, because of these pitcocks and the project cars and, and go down the list of young guys that are absolutely crushing it right now, teams are thinking that's the way. And, I still think, you know, a guy like you at 28, you're coming into your peak years. We can't disrespect that. So this is just my old guy thinking in the sense of young guys pushing it that hard at that young of an age. And what I'm curious to see, and I, I wish them all the best, but I'm curious that maybe that's too much too soon. And even though their bodies are, clearly handling it what are they going to be like what their physical peak you know are they going to be that much better or are they going to be fried from a from a lifetime of just putting in these massive efforts
2: yeah because i guess it's a bit like unheralded like i think about like ruben plaza or Valverde, guys who they've got uh palmares that stretches from being 18 years old on liberty seguros to being now 57 on Star. <laughs> I mean, there was a bit of a Operation Puerto somewhere, like one third of the way down the, the history of that. So I don't know how much that affects. But sure. At the same time, none of these sort of guys have been pro for 26 years. I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty unheralded. So it's one of these things. I guess we'll have to wait, like
0: totally, yeah, nine It'll
2: years and
0: see what happens. Interesting to watch for sure, and. I wanted to ask you. You being part of like, I feel like you're way closer to that younger generation than, than especially myself and Randy as well. What like what are guys doing? Like how did they shift? I mean, you're living there in Girona. You've seen how some guys are living. Um, I'm curious, like, because it sounds like you're on a team that gets it. But how are guys like training and how like what's their attitude shift? Because I know like some of my favorite memories are being on teams like Spider Tech or um symmetrics it was just fun like l- the life was fun you you trained hard but it wasn't like you weren't basing your existence off it let's let's say whereas like when you are at that world tour level which you've been it becomes a bit more uh, it can be a bit of a misery when you're struggling and you're trying to like prove to the team that you actually should get a contract next year and so i'm, I'm curious to see like what you've noticed in that time if there has been a shift at all amongst guys that you know and in your similar age bracket
2: um i think it's like really depends like person to person because this team's been great for that in the sense where we ride hard we attack each other we turn every ride into a race we have fun not that riding as hard as you can every day is the the best solution but that's like when we go to training camps and you have to after the ride eat a bunch of food maybe have a little stretch maybe have a beer Watch some British television, something like that, and just and just enjoy. It. And there's other guys, yeah, sleeping in altitude tents, checking checking their blood, oximeters, stuff, and taking their vitamins and 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 all that. And I think it's just everyone needs their their own way of doing things. And like I know for me, and I, know, I mean, a majority of my friends, the reason they're my friends is that we we don't like live to get every single marginal gain like we don't do things that way like to to that that endless pursuit where i don't for me life wouldn't be fun if i was just thinking oh how can i get half a percent better like oh maybe i could lose like 500 grams in time for this next race
0: (laughs) so yeah yeah
2: i that that's actually
0: another leads to another question i have because um, i'm always curious through uh like a lifetime of of bike racing and bike racing being such a power to weight dependent sport it's very easy to get obsessed about that whole weight issue and through my own experience and ever again everyone's going to be different but I've always found there's like this spot where you're sacrificing too much to be light and you're kind of throwing away anything you thought (laughs) you would gain from it so what I mean by that is like a guy like you, you're a power rider, right? You need power. And so obviously there's there's a point where, yeah, you want to be light, you know, to get like even in the classic styles, rice is up. You say pan flat up north, but we all know those bergs take it out of you. Yeah. You, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh short climbs. And I mean, just yeah. go do go do one of those climbs and and do them 20 times back to back after you've been sprinting into corners and doing, you know, big pulls on the front. Um so I'd love to hear your experience just to share with people that kind of sweet spot of weight and performance and and maybe some of the things you've learned over a lifetime there.
2: Yeah, well I would say it's like the funny especially Canadians can relate to this but I remember being in Belgium and as a junior in U23 and the the, the DS has been like, "Oh, you're a little bit fat, huh? and thinking, "Oh man, like didn't want to look in the mirror like i hate what i look like i look disgusting like i'm so fat but in reality that's like 19 year old me and you you hate yeah. you're just like oh and then you, you go home to grandma for christmas and she's like oh my god you're yeah. so skinny yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with you like you're dying i'm like no grandma i'm fat yeah. i'm fat grandma and she's that's like disgusting no. She's like,
0: <laughs> that that three hundred pound director that can barely get out of the car called me fat.
2: Between puffs of his cigarette, he was <laughs> chain smoking out the window. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for and for a long time, I, I was always like, um, like, oh, I'm going through this thing with a girlfriend. I want to go back to Canada. I'm a bit stressed about this. Oh, I'm stressed about that. And the team be like, oh yeah, that's that's good, but like lose some weight maybe too. But, like everything's always. Like the classic one is when the Belgians go, ah, two kilos, eh? Hey, you lose two kilos, you make it over the climb, you win the race, eh? And then they're just like, it's, oh, but it's always two kilos. Like, when I was in lottery 23, everyone on the team was told to lose two kilos. Like, even like there was a guy, Louis Rebecca, who was like, so skinny, like eating disorder as a teenager skinny, and it's like, you told this guy to lose two kilos. Like, well, yeah. If he can do this many watts at this many kilos, if he did two kilos less and did right. the same amount of watts, the calculation is there,
1: right? Yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's like I, I don't like Mike Woods doesn't push that many more watts than me. Like, if I lost fourteen kilograms, <laughs> be up there I'd on be the Amazing. Product. I just take. I just you just cut off one of my legs, and I can keep my watts where they are. I can follow Mike anywhere. It's great, but. Uh, um, no, I think honestly, it's only happened last because actually Astana was really, really good for my my body image because before that, I, it felt like a lot of times like, oh, it was always just lo- lose weight. There was never like a nutritionist. There was never like anyone right. with a real There was no sense. tools
0: as to how do I do this then?
2: Yeah. It's like, decent race, Ben. Come back skinnier. And then... <laughs> I always hated to the double standard. Like there was guys who would win or do well who were like visibly fat. And not that I'm ever going to be the one to like go to someone a teammate and say, hey, you're fat. But they would do – if you do well and you're fat, success. Great success.
1: (laughs) Agreed. Percentage works.
2: (laughs) Percentage (laughs) works. But also if you're really skinny and perform like shit, a lot of teams are also happy with you as well. Yeah, you still look good. It's (laughs) like, come on.
1: What like, are we hey, talking
2: you it, about? You did 100 RPM all day in the drops. So I can see your, your hip bone. Like, as I soon as it you got windy, your, you your, were trying to out of your back in the cart. Yeah, you couldn't go in the red zone because your iron level in your blood is a 0.4. And, Dude,
0: this is very true. I don't think like that's such a, a great point. It's, it's like as long as you look the part, they know at least you're suffering in some way to be senseless. <laughs> <all>
2: right? <laughs> Yeah, like these old school DS's just fall in love with like the look of a super, super skinny athlete. But when I was at the end of my time with Israel and I was like really – I would have really good periods and like really bad periods. You can just like see it in my results and like the bad periods where I was like, okay, I'm going to do a fasted ride today and I'm just going to eat salad in the evening and I'm just going to chug so much water. I'll feel so full. I'm
0: just just going to wiggle myself to sleep because I'm just like
2: (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> I'm just gonna stay awake as long as I can because I'm too hungry to sleep. But if I wait, drowsiness will surpass hunger, and then I will fall asleep. Um, oh shit! But uh, actually, I one of my teammates, Zach Dempster, who's a good buddy of mine still. Um, he, I was like a bit stressed about this and that. He's like Ben. How much have you? Every single race you've ever won in your life. How much did you weigh? More or less, and I was like 73, 74 kilos. And he's like, "How much do you weigh now?" I was like sixty eight kilos. He's like, "There's your answer." <laughs> but and I'm please, like, "Oh yeah, I guess." I'm, but that's true. Like I, I won whatever if you could include all the little races here and there. It's like I've never won anything when I was below seventy kilos.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. and yet it's hard to look at that statistic and go like, "Well, I guess I'm just gonna pack on three or four more kilos after all this work." Because <laughs> you like also the work it took to get down to that 68 or whatever and it's it's such a weird thing because it's just what you said it's like in many ways subliminally you know it's not where you're going to get success but yet it's what everyone's doing on those teams and it's like Mm. you're you're playing the role of like well this is what i should look like because everyone else looks like a bunch of emaciated freaks so i'm actually the fattest guy here and i'm at the lightest i've ever been and i still like when we do the skin folds the guys the doc's like Oof, yeah <laughs> yeah we're gonna talk <laughs> to you at dinner tonight you know or <laughs>
2: actually we're having a meeting during dinner because yeah. you, won't attend- you won't be attending you won't be attending dinner tonight <Swain. laughs> well
0: actually we're gonna bring it up in front of everyone so we can just kind of yeah. talk talk about it not discreetly just we'll bring everyone into the conversation i'll just tell everyone your skin folds like, right there so yeah <laughs> that that should be healthy and and positive for everyone
2: constructive yeah <laughs> but i've actually found in the last since since joining astana we had a, a pretty interesting like nutritional stuff there we had a, full-time, a full time full first time i've been on a team with a full-time nutritionist and they gave us like debriefs and just like driving home like always eat for tomorrow eat tons on the ride and working with Richard Wolves as well. I have to say Richard Wolves as a coach also told me that and not, cause it, you know, back in the day, like the amount of times you just for so long, even from me being pretty much modern in cycling, having always having a GPS and I haven't always had like a power meter or anything like that, but you always had like cliff bars and shot blocks and gels and, and drink mix and stuff. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'll have a cliff bar an hour. That's probably good. Or like a banana. I'm doing a three hour ride. I'll bring a banana with me. And then now it's like, today, the four hour ride, like three gels, two bottles of mix, like can of Coke, two Snickers bars, banana. Again, you get home and you're not even hungry. And then if I've I've honestly found like I've stopped weighing myself, I've stopped worrying about it. I've stopped like giving a shit what I think my body looks like and stopped getting on the the scales. And I've just naturally just lost weight because I've lost that bad relationship with food. Like I just don't care. And I'm like, I'm, I'm before I would just, you'd resist so hard that you'd be like, oh, I just want to eat like a, two bags of chips just to show the staff and Madame Watson, I can do it. Like <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can be fat and very small. But then, um, in the end, it's just like, now I'm just like, I don't, I actually want to feel good. I want to be healthy. Like I want to eat well. And I know like after a five hour training ride, you have to have a bowl rice and Man. chicken boob or a couple eggs or something like that's what you need you can't come home from a ride and eat salad like now you've just erased your training yeah you've erased all the good you've, you've
0: sabotaged done. it like
2: but i i honestly remember riding in niagara being like an hour from home and or like two hours from home say and there's like not where i was like out in the sticks there's like not a lot of places to buy food and being cracked because obviously then i was back then when i was junior u23 i was not eating anywhere near enough on the bike and the thought of like oh i'm so hungry i could stop in like this last farm shop and buy like a can of coke and like a bag of candy that would make me feel so good maybe but then i'd be like no i don't want those calories and i just <laughs> ride home at like 20k an hour like in the drops going like a horse <laughs> just like so like, can't eat, like yeah. a car a car passes in the <laughs> opposite direction in like a three-lane road and you're like Fuck you. you're just like, just like in such a bad mood. Okay. Um, but now now like that like that like that moment's like been a realization for me too where I'm like, wait a second. if you think about this just purely based on science, not about like the mentality, not about like body weight, skin folds, any of that. if I beasted, not that it's great to have it all in one go, but if I just beasted like 600 calories, like 250 grams of carbs of like sugar, water and, and sugar, I would have – and I mean maybe I wouldn't have come back from the bunk. But there's a good chance I would have flown home and burned off those calories anyways rather than just like destroying my muscles, destroying my body, getting home, like passing out on the couch, not being able to eat. And then when I can't eat, you're just like there's not enough food in the house. And Man. it's like one of these things where everyone just lives in the moment like don't eat, don't eat, don't eat until they crack. Yeah. And then everything goes wrong and they don't know why. Just so- yeah, everyone might like, – eat rice.
0: Dude, it's such a great point, and I'm so glad you were able to share that in in that fashion because it's like having that whole approach right throughout the day where it's, it's more balanced. And I've done it myself. I've sabotaged myself a million times, not eating, just destroying myself. And like you said, doing probably more damage in that training than gaining anything from it, coming home fucked, and then there's just not enough. That I can eat like I just and and quite often your body's in a bit of a survival mode so it's craving like sugary types of things like the wrong things and yeah I just think that's such an important point and that's one thing I noticed towards the end of my my time riding is guys were eating a lot more out training and making sure they're getting it because in the end what are we doing like There's a weird notion when it comes to training right and yeah there are times of the year where you can focus on if you need to lose weight or whatever but i think the the template that we've had for so many years is wrong and just what you said when you're giving your body those things throughout the day and then on top of that you're happy because you don't get a buggered up brain chemistry you get buggered up brain chemistry through imbalance right so depleting yourself so far and then having to eat a bunch of shit just to feel okay again. But then you feel awful again because you ate all of that stuff and you realized you sacrificed your whole training. And it's a horrible cycle. And it like, I feel like a lot of people probably dealt with that and maybe are still dealing with that, but uh, there's some real gems in there. So yeah, thanks for sharing that, bud.
2: But I, Even to continue it for one more second is like, of when course. you think about all the little parts of it individually, I feel like people get scared. Like, oh no, that'll make me fat. If I eat a ton on the ride or if I eat this before the race, It'll make me fat or it'll make me this. But I remember with Astana, like they had like the the list of the things you needed to eat before like a monument. And it was ridiculous. Like if I could send you a screenshot of it right now, it's like one yogurt or one of these, like one apple or one banana. Like 300 grams of porridge or 300 grams of cereal plus 300 grams of rice or 300 grams of spaghetti. And I was showing some of my current teammates that document just a training camp. They're like, wait, it's a one bowl of oatmeal or one bowl of rice? It's like, no, it's – a banana, a yogurt, a full bowl of porridge, a full bowl of rice. And there's like two slices of toast, two eggs. And it's like, you look at it like, I don't think I could eat that. Like, no, you have to go to breakfast like with an hour because you have to sit there and like try to get it all in. You're sitting there. You've got the, they've got the scales, everything. You eat so much because you think, okay, if you're doing a seven-hour race and you're going to average whatever, 300 watts and you, you're just on the pedals all day, you're burning all that energy anyways and you're eating so much in the race and then you think people think like oh but then after the race what did you have for dinner it's like oh we had like steak and steak and salad and people are like oh well if you're just having like meat and veggies after the race like that's also sounds like you're you're trying to cut or something but when you're eating that many carbs like before during you literally finish the race and if you've eaten well and you've eaten properly you finish the race and you go i need to shit so bad <laughs> and i don't want to see another carb for the rest of my life and you, you still have like a little bowl of rice actually, no, you don't have to shit so bad if your gut's trained. But if you try, if you tried that meal right now and did a seven-hour yeah. ride right, as hard as you can, your stomach would be not happy with you. So you have, that's why you have to do the training, to train it. And then you get to dinner and, you, and you've it's like, oh, you did like a seven-hour race day and all you're having is like steak and salad? It's like, no, because I've done everything right until now. And to be honest, if you gave me the option to have a pizza, I probably wouldn't want it. That's I'm a great point. I, yeah, you are in deficit. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's
0: a yeah, nutritionally really – Yeah,
2: you're not in deficit at that point. You've done everything well to that point. So – there's yeah. no replacing to be done.
0: Yeah. So one thing we didn't touch on was your, your time with Astana. Would you say that was a positive experience? And, and you know, what, what were the takeaways from that, that season? At Like with the team that I, I you know, for my take is uh, it's a very professionally run team, and but also quite a very serious team. And sounds to me like maybe just that side of that nutritional aspect was probably one of the best things uh, or best parts of that you could take away from that time with with them
2: yeah just like the focus on the little things like i mean it was different um i think like the israel team has grown a lot since i was there and silver obviously was a small team smaller budget but with istana it's like if i had an issue with anything um team doctor like happy to help like i've got a rash on my elbow i don't know what it's from they'd be like facetime us like did you walk in the bushes? Did you did you uh, w- did you sit on someone's couch? Like I don't know, like anything. <laughs> like I mean, it, uh, that's just a made up story. But like physio. Did you see a lady of the night? <laughs> with my elbow. <laughs> <laughs> <People> <laughs> some- uh, yeah. We
0: don't know you that well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
2: Yeah. I wish I didn't use the elbow <laughs> as a, I, um, <clears throat> yeah, but no, in, in all seriousness, like, like the team was, I remember before if I like I crashed and broke my bike and I was thinking like, Oh no, like I have to tell them I've broken my bike. Maybe I'll try to broken bike. Cause with the team before they would have been like, you're an idiot. Like I can't believe it. Like they would have been like, Oh no, 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 no. And like before it was like same with the nutrition stuff, like not, no help we can refer you to someone but it's 400 euros a month but we only pay you bit the bare minimum minus minus 1 cent so you can't really afford that end rent, so you got to make a choice and then like with the stoner is like oh you want you want this like just ask like you 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 you, you have a sore tooth from the lady of the night they <laughs> call the doctor um and then yeah just like one time i broke a bike and i had a new one like the next day and i was like what this is service like this is how <laughs> This is how it should be I guess yeah. I don't know but I mean and, and like everything was super organized they were very clear with um, directions like I I didn't get to do a lot of racing because the team doesn't didn't really do a lot of small races and I was pretty far down the food chain but they are very like clear with communication like I had tons of notice um they were supportive and like I crashed in the Dauphine and like was really down because I like went out to Alto and today I thought I did everything right and then just had like a bad a bad little stint. And they were like, yeah, no problem, go home, train, on to the next one. It is what it is. The only the only thing that was weird was like the obviously like the political infighting going on in the background and like hearing this rumor about that and that rumor about that. But right. at the end of the day, that's all sorted itself out and it's that's, not the best for them now. But
0: that's um something I'd actually uh, I'm also curious about. I know we chatted back before the Dauphiné at some point, and I know that was a big, like, you've been training the house down, doing a massive, like, those guys do some serious altitude camps. Was that, was that your first altitude camp you've ever done?
2: Uh, my first proper one, yeah. First
0: proper one, yeah. <laughs> and the, the Dolfiné is just notoriously a crazy race. Um, I'd like to delve in a little to what it takes to get through those training camps, and then to come into like a big objective, again, that's where you're going to have to show that team, you know, you're like, that, that would have been a big proving ground for you, right? So it's like, I know you're not a guy who's like carrying a ton of pressure and stressed out, but like, there's a considerable amount of pressure for something like that. So maybe explain that experience a little bit if you can.
2: Yeah, so I mean <clears throat> a lot of the the thing that I found really interesting though too with the training camps and the training with with Astana is like they did a lot of stuff based on like your lactate threshold and lactate buffering and I still do it like all the time in training where we didn't like do team like races or any insanely hard stuff usually in training. It was a lot of just sub-lactate stuff and doing altitude and make sure you take your iron supplements and make sure you're getting enough rest and make sure you're eating well. And, and yeah, it's like they, they kind of just – that's the thing with cycling too, is like, if, if I have a random team, I'd be like, you have your coach, you have your whatever, like do your thing. And and if you're not good enough, you might just, you might just, not, might not, just, you just may not be asked back. So I think that's kind of how Astana worked. And I, I knew like going into that race, like if I knock out of the park here, I'll get a big pat on the back and I'll be the man. And if I don't, they'll say, we'll do everything in our power to help you to be better next time. And best of luck and see you at the next one. And that's ultimately what happened. But it, it, it it's, it's it's nice because I think there's a lot of people like I'm lucky enough to have like great parents and great friends and family and there's no one really banging on my door saying you have to perform at this you have to this like I know if I could quit cycling right now and my friends would still be my friends and my parents would still love me you know mm. but my grandma just had less things to watch on TV basically <laughs> be the biggest loss. That, I thought that was good. Good about the team and good about like the whole build into the Dauphin is. Mm. It was. I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I really wanted to perform, and then ultimately I didn't, but there wasn't anyone saying, we needed you, we needed you to do this, like you're a massive letdown, like, oh, you're too fat, or you're too this, or it was just on to the next one. And I think that's the way it should be because people put enough pressure on themselves that they want to be good enough they've made it to the world tour level. No one just coasts to the world tour level. Right, 100%. No one just ends up there by accident. Yeah.
0: I, I I'm the same. I I always saw. I always thought that old school mentality where you kind of shamed a guy or this and that. Like everyone who's there wants it that bad. You don't you don't block into it because it's consistency over time. At some period, you must have wanted it so bad that it was worth everything. And so, a team's job is how do they capture that. How do they keep creating that environment? It's not through shame or making people feel bad or putting them down or, <clears throat> yeah. or you know not communicating with them, and that's what I see all too often. so yeah, that's good to hear they have that approach, and, and uh, for sure, that must have been good for you, like, yeah, it sucks you know what happened in the Dauphiné, but then to know like, well, I just have to do it again and again and, and try and show my my ability.:
1: <clears throat>
0: Well, Ben. <laughs> I think we're going to cap it off there. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time with us and uh, sharing your stories. I feel like we went all over the shop a bit, but uh, I think we delved into a lot of good stuff there. So thank you, man. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you. Sorry if I'm a bit all over the shop. No, it's, but...
1: it's good. Let's call this no, part, part one. We got yeah. this is five parts at some point. <laughs>
2: First, oh. first edition. Until the next time, we'll get a bit more streamlined with the stories.
0: And before we go, what's uh, what are your big objectives for the the coming races now?
2: <clears throat> um, well, I was gonna say actually that with the whole Astana thing is I remember. Um, sorry to put this after the sign off, but with no. Silver, we we would win a race, and it'd be like. Holy shit, Mateo just won Redlands. This is amazing. Cause we were like the boys together. We did everything together. We were like <laughs> cooking meals together. And like you when you win like that, it's amazing. And like before this team, like the last five, six years, like someone would win and be like, I would I would be really excited, like try to be genuinely excited, and everyone else would be like, Oh, there's not great prize money at this race. Or like, <laughs> oh and it's like no, we rushed to the airport. It's like yeah. what do we do this for? Yeah, everyone's hustling <laughs> to like get to the airport, like I got this flight, be like, Oh, you won? Oh, good <laughs> but with this team, it's like <clears throat> I, I've taken – like I've been kind of given a bit of a leadership role with another guy in, in this team, with Sun God. And just like there's a lot of guys who are great riders and they've done a lot, but I just come from a place where I've had the different experiences and like different levels of teams and different cultures and everything. So these next races, there's only maybe one stage in the next six races for me. Like everything is pretty pan flat and we've got a really good sprint team and my job's going to be kind of just – to coach and there's no radios so my job is going to be kind of coaching the guys saying like okay we have to go up the right now i mean obviously i'll be screaming these things not saying them but I go on the ride and and like planning like okay we have to hit this corner first and we're going to use this guy and then that guy and then and i'm just gonna get so much joy out of jim brown matt gibson Hollywood, one of these guys on my team like winning a stage of one of these races and the other thing too that's like really really satisfying but being in this team with like a bunch of good young guys is like there's like this guy Jim Brown is just one example, but he's a U23 British guy, great sprinters, had some good results in point ones and stuff already. And if he can win a couple races at Olympia's Tour and kind of wave the flag, maybe go to Lavenir, win a couple stages, maybe he'll be winning a Tour de to France stage in five years with any of i will be like, I was screaming yeah. at that kid to get his ass in gear at Olympia's <laughs> Tour five years yeah. ago, and now he's on the champs les yeah I mean, stages like you never know and it's also just like we all just get along so well that you're you're just stoked when someone wins and like
1: make a party on,
2: yeah like, i've <laughs> never had qualms about like helping someone else but it's a bit annoying when you help someone else and they're like oh yeah i missed the split or all and then yeah, you don't like, want to hear
0: stories you know
2: just yeah it's like i don't want the excuses like i i sacrificed my entire race to help put you in that corner in a better position and it wasn't good enough and now i've just wasted the race and the team thinks i'm a piece of shit
1: Because <laughs> <Yeah. Whereas laughs> yeah.
2: now like i'm so happy to I, I mean i'm still happy but you get a you actually get a reward when you can see like a teammate get in the hunt even if they don't win if they're just like oh i'm so close or, oh i did that's like well next time you, i can learn something for the next one so
1: good stuff nice. man yeah
2: yeah sign off again
0: (laughs) no that's that's great i'm glad you added that in that's uh that's what we want those are the gems
1: so Yeah, yeah
2: thank you
0: thanks buddy thanks buddy we appreciate it yeah
2: thanks for having me on yeah
0: well friends that was an awesome podcast randy what do you reckon
1: yeah that was uh that was a good one especially uh all the all the good stuff in there and then you know what you know what i love about the podcast is um you know we catch up with old friends and and uh everyone that we've done i've learned you know i've learned something new about somebody and like like ben's i didn't actually know much about ben's junior racing days so yeah it's uh yeah you could
0: tell tell in the podcast he just wanted to kind of brush over all those those big years (laughs) that like we're (laughs) that was the stuff we wanted to hear so it was good to finally pull that out of them. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to our next guest coming up. Should be in a couple of weeks, eh, Rand? Our, our next party should be coming out. Yep, after a big bike race. Yeah, big bike race. We're going to do a bit of a recap after a big bike race. So, yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, before we go, we want to mention some of the – we have a new partner with uh, KDX Cycling. They make uh, Wicked Wheels Handlebar Seats and uh, now they're stepping into the gravel tire market. So yeah, we're gonna be some test pilots for those guys and I uh, have to say first impressions, pretty awesome. Uh, please help support the people that help support us, which is Shimano. They've been, uh, well, between me and Randy, they've probably been supporting us for 35 to 40 years. So what a awesome brand. I don't need to say anything more about that. And, um, and then we have the good old crew at 7Mesh uh yeah i i've worn every type of cycling clothing and uh yeah i just there's there's i can't say enough about these guys uh and the quality of their rain jackets and their cycling clothing in general so yeah and they are a squamish brand so support the local guys all right thanks everyone (laughs)